Now I will ask you if you are able to turn in a Bible, turn in a Bible app to our passage that we're looking at today in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to do what we do each Sunday. We'll look at this passage from God's Word. We'll talk about what it means, why it matters, and what we should do about it. So if you have one of those things, a paper Bible, there's some actually under the seats in front of you. If you don't have one, Bible app. If you would turn to Matthew 13, and when you found that, if you'd stand together with me, and we'll read through this passage together. Matthew 13, beginning at verse 1. Matthew says this, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the crowd, the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Another, other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, they head out from the teaching, and the disciples kind of ask Jesus, like, well, what's up with the parables? Why are you talking to people in these weird stories? And Jesus says, you know what? Not everyone's going to see and understand these stories in the same way. But then look at verse 16 now. He says, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, and yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, and in another thirty. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let me pray for us quickly, and then we'll dive into this together. Spirit of God, I ask now that you would open our ears to hear, give us ears to hear what you want to say to us this morning. Thank you for your word and thankful for the, the blessing of it, but now we want to be those who are open to it, to, to receive what you want to plant in us this morning. God, give us those ears to hear and, and to follow and act on what you show us. You say that you never send out your word and it returns to you void. It accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. God, would you accomplish that purpose in each one of us this morning? And as I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Amen. Well, there are few words that strike fear into my heart more quickly than, Wesley, are you even listening to me right now? Is that the same for you? As soon as I hear that, just like, whoa, immediately... I'm stopped, not because they used my full name. That sentence could start with dad or dude or whatever. As soon as I hear that, 
I'm immediately afraid. And what's terrifying about it is that more often than not, if someone even has to ask me that question, the answer is most likely no. Uh, and, and they can probably see that the answer is no, that I'm not listening. And so, yeah, it usually goes bad from there. Sometimes I've been able to kind of pull a rabbit out of the hat and kind of repeat back pretty close to what they said. I'm like, see, I'm listening. But not really, right? I think, I think we all know that, that truly listening when it comes down to it is not just being able to repeat back what somebody says to you. It's, it's about like truly hearing. Really listening is about understanding. It's about comprehension of what was said that then leads to right action. That's how you determine whether or not someone is truly listening or not. And listening, like really truly hearing, is actually what this passage from Matthew's gospel that we're looking about today is all about. As you see there, if you look at verse 9, it's about whether or not we're really listening, whether or not we're truly hearing the words of Jesus as he preaches and teaches about the kingdom of God. It's Jesus, in effect, saying to you and to me, are you really listening? Are, are you truly hearing me? Now, hopefully Jesus doesn't just pose the question and then wait to see if we can repeat back what he said, uh, repeat back what we read in his word. No, instead he provides us here with four scenarios, four tests, if you will, in order to determine whether we've truly heard him, and with the ultimate sign as to whether we've truly heard him being fruitfulness. Now, we're going to get into what we mean by fruitfulness, but fruitfulness is something that everyone who's a, a kingdom citizen is, is concerned about. They're concerned about fruitfulness in themselves as well as in the lives of those that they're ministering to. That's the sign that shows whether we're truly listening. But what's unique about Jesus' teaching in our passage today is that he doesn't just lay out those tests in kind of a theoretical, linear fashion. He's not like, okay, test one. You ready? He doesn't do it that way. No, instead what we see is Jesus teaching his disciples as well as the crowds around him in parables. And actually, if you follow the, th the flow of Matthew's gospel, we're actually entering into a new section of Matthew's gospel as we move out of the courtroom of chapter 12 into the classroom, or I guess the beach classroom of chapter 13. And parables, parables in and of themselves are kind of an interesting form of teaching. Uh, if you look at verse 34, Matthew says, Jesus said nothing to the crowds without using one of these parables. But they're an interesting form of teaching because when we hear a parable, we often think about um, like allegories. We think of uh, stories like Aesop's fables that carry some kind of meaning with them. They help to illustrate a point, make that more clear. And, and there's certainly that aspect to them. And yet... When you read this section between Jesus' telling of the parable at the beginning of this chapter and his explanation in verses 18 to 23, when you read that section in between, what you hear Jesus saying is actually the reason he speaks to the crowd in parables is actually so they won't be able to understand him. Yeah. I'm, I'm using parables so they won't understand me, which we, we, we talked in detail about this actually a few years ago when we did a whole summer series through the parables of Jesus, stories of the kingdom. I'm going to spend almost no time on it here. But the thing to, to know or to remember is very simply that the parables of Jesus have a dual purpose. The purpose of both to reveal as well as to conceal. They do both. They reveal and conceal. And that, that's just important to know as, as we come to this because the, the reality is that those to whom Jesus reveals 
The, the meaning, the, the, the kind of kingdom truth embedded beneath the surface of those stories is his disciples. He brings the interpretation to those who are in relationship to him, to those who seek him to understand the meaning of the parable. Okay, so Jesus is the secret decoder ring. He's, he's the, the key that helps unlock the meaning of the parable. And it's only in coming to him that you understand the meaning of the story. And what Jesus reveals as he goes back and decodes the story, as he unpacks the meaning of the parable that he just preached to these crowds, is that the seed that this sower, this farmer goes out to sow, refers to, as he says it, the word of the kingdom. The seed is the word of the kingdom or or like the message of the gospel that's being planted. And then, as it relates to the, the four different types of soil on which the seed falls is actually describing four different ways of of hearing that word, four different ways of listening to it. Which is funny because although Jesus refers to this parable as the parable of a sower, when when you look at the amount of time given to the four different soils, it seems like it should be, as some people refer to this, the parable of the soils. Uh, That's definitely what Jesus seems to give more time to. And yet, because Jesus calls it the parable of the sower, and obviously he is very much the one doing the sowing in this passage, with his interpretation in hand, what I want to do as we look at this passage today is begin by by looking through those four different soils, looking through the four tests that Jesus describes, and then kind of do our own hearing assessment, do our own hearing assessment as it relates to the gospel. Try to answer the question this morning, how, how am I hearing you, Jesus? How's my hearing when it comes to listening to you? But then, because sowing is what Jesus also calls each one of his followers to participate in once we become a citizen of the kingdom as well, I also want to spend some time looking at some of the encouragement that Jesus offers in this passage for heralds of the gospel message, those that he's called to sow the message of the kingdom himself. So those are the two things we're going to do. We're going to look at a Jesus hearing assessment, and then we're going to look at encouragement for heralds. So if you've closed your Bible, your Bible app, whatever it is, I'm going to ask you to open that again. I want to follow along with me. Come with me into this passage, Matthew 13, and follow along as Jesus calls us to greater fruitfulness in the kingdom. And he does so by testing the quality of our hearing. Okay, so let's look first of all at Jesus' hearing assessment. Jesus' hearing assessment. So if you look back at the second half of verse 3, this is where we first see the, Jesus recounting this parable that he later unpacks in his explanation. So as Jesus says, there's this sower, a farmer, who, who's going out into his field, sowing these seeds, seeds that he sow fall on four different types of soil, producing four different types of results. And those four soils are the, the hard-packed soil of the path, the, the shallow or rocky soil, You've got thorny soil, and then, of course, you've got the good soil, these four soils. But if you just look at that parable again, verses 3 through 9, something you you see probably yourself, I was really struck by it again this past week as I looked at it, having just looked at the parable on its own, realizing just how awesome, how, how essential having Jesus' interpretation of this parable actually is. You ever thought about that? Because honestly, without it, I'm sorry, but how, how boring, 
How, how meaningless is that parable that Jesus just told otherwise? I mean, if you can, forget everything else you know about this parable right now, from what you've heard in the past, what you've read, forget it for a moment and tell me with a straight face that if you're one of Jesus' disciples, you're somebody in the crowd that day listening to Jesus preach and teach from the boat, and, and that story, verses 3 through 9, that's all you get from Jesus? Come on, tell me with a straight face that you're not wondering, why did we all come down to hear this guy again? What? As he tells a largely agrarian society what they would have all already known about the life of seeds and then concluded his teaching with, he who has ears to hear, let him listen, as though he's just said something you know, profound and groundbreaking. I'm sure everyone there would have been just like, seriously? Do you, do you know what he's talking about? It's weird. Like, so so I, I just point that out because he, he, he has taught them something profound and groundbreaking. He, he actually has, but we only know it's profound and groundbreaking because we have Jesus' interpretation of what he meant in this otherwise like, obvious parable. And I think too often we can forget that reality, either just because we read the passage before, we've heard sermons on it before, and so we, we, we know what Jesus is getting at. But again, imagine hearing Jesus' parable without the understanding that you have because Jesus has given it to you. And you realize just how essential having this interpretation of the parable really is. It really invites us into the true depth and meaning of what Jesus is saying. It's exactly as St. Augustine said about people who hear Jesus' parables without being in relationship to him. He said, it's, it's like someone who looks at beautifully written poetry in a foreign language. He says, they can admire the calligraphy, but can't appreciate the meaning. That's the same for, for us. We appreciate not just the beauty of it, but also the meaning because we have the interpreter who's giving us the understanding. So thankfully, Jesus' disciples then, you and I today, we, we have Jesus' interpretation. He gifts us with understanding and insight into what he's actually preaching and teaching about the kingdom so that we can know, <laughs> rather than just giving some kind of Captain Obvious speech about seed germination, Jesus is actually describing something far more profound. He's describing these four different ways of hearing, resulting in four different responses to the message of the kingdom. So I want to now just very quickly look through each of those soils and the resulting responses together with you. I'm going to ask you, as we go through them, be thinking about your own heart. Be thinking about your own hearing and, and kind of already start the process of hearing assessment. I've been praying for us all week and certainly so much this morning that the Spirit would really give you insight and wisdom into your own hearing. Uh, Don't be thinking about anybody else. Be thinking about yourself and how am I hearing Jesus and do any of these kind of line up with or sound like, ooh, I don't like how that sounds. It, It could be the Spirit pressing on your heart saying, that's how you're hearing right now. So let's look at these together. First description of the soil where the seed fell is on the hard-packed soil of the path. You see that? Uh, he talks about it first of all in verse 4 and then explains it in verse 19. And I know that could sound strange and wasteful already to begin with because you're kind of like, why is he planting seeds on the path to start? That seems, that seems dumb. But, but what historians point out is that in the ancient Near East, first century, fields were actually not fenced off like they are today. And so pathways could very often run alongside or even directly through someone's field. So that's why seed is even being sown there to begin with. And the picture is plain enough, even for non-farmers like most of us in here, I imagine. Uh, Seed that's fallen on the hard-packed soil of the path, it it can't 
penetrate the ground surface and begin to germinate. And so it's easy prey for birds to just swoop down and snatch. And, and what Jesus says is that this is like the person who hears the word and does not understand it. He says that in verse 19. It's like the person who hears what he's saying but doesn't understand it. That is, like, doesn't take it in, doesn't allow it to penetrate beneath the surface of their heart and thus is snatched away by the devil, by which I think he, he's referring to both the, the rational as well as supernatural ways that his word is, is rationalized and that is explained away before someone can really take it in and put it into practice in their lives. This happens all the time, and I've seen it happen multiple times even in myself. Uh, Tim Keller, he calls these hearers of the word theoretical Christians. Theoretical Christians, that is those who know the teachings of Jesus intellectually, they can maybe even repeat back to you a lot of what Jesus has said. But because their hearts remain hard to Jesus, that truth never makes the journey from their heads down into their hearts where it can actually transform them. And those of you who have uh, you know, ever heard my personal testimony before, you know that this is how I heard the Word of God for, for decades in my life. Very good at like learning about uh, the teaching of God's Word, very good at repeating it back to you. But Having it, it never had yet penetrated and transformed the hard, stony surface of my heart. I could just tell you lots of stuff about the Bible, but my, my life was completely still untransformed. I was still exactly as I was before. So that's the first soil, the, 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 the seed that fell on the hard path. Always up on the surface, never penetrates down into the heart. The next soil Jesus describes is the rocky soil. The rocky soil, by which he doesn't mean soil that's filled with a bunch of rocks. What he's talking about is a thin layer of soil that covers the bedrock underneath in this part of the world. So again, the, the picture is once again pretty easy to grasp. The, the seed penetrates, quickly sprouts up in this shallow, fertile soil, but because it has no depth, no, no roots to dig down and sustain itself in the scorching heat of this part of the world, it quickly withers and dies. And the way Jesus uses this picture to describe how the word of the kingdom is heard is an immediate joyful reception, but that is just as quickly abandoned when trial or persecution on account of the word comes in because there's no deep roots. There, there, there's, there's, there's no uh, roots by, by which I think Jesus just means that there, there's no connection to the living water or the spirit. It can't truly feed on the spirit because it's not truly connected. Therefore, while this person may have the appearance of new life, what the trials and persecutions that Jesus promises will come to every one of his followers reveals about them is that while they may have had an emotional experience related to faith in Jesus, the word, much like the seed that fell on the hard path, has not yet truly entered down into their hearts and they remain untransformed by it. Keller describes these emotional Christians as, quote, those who thought they were entering Christ's kingdom, but what was really happening was that they were trying to get Christ to enter into their kingdom. As long as they had services provided, they had joy, but as soon as there was no longer, he was no longer helping them to meet their goals, they'd had it with him, which showed that the things they really worshipped were the things that they lost in the heat. The hard path of the the hard-packed soil of the path, the rocky soil, the shallow soil. The next soil we see is in verse 22. Look with me here, the thorny soil. Here is that seed that lands in otherwise good soil. And yet, as one commentator put it, he said, this time the soil is good, but it's already taken up. 
or it's already occupied with other things. And I think we're all aware of how devastating and awful for gardens thorns and weeds can be in otherwise healthy plants. Uh, they rob the soil of a lot of nutrients. They block out the light of the sun that, that aids in a plant's growth and fruitfulness. And in Jesus' interpretation of this parable, that the thorns that keep otherwise healthy, deeply rooted plants from being fruitful are two things. He describes them as the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Quickly, let's look at these things. I think the cares of the world, that can mean all kinds of like really good, awesome things in our lives. A spouse, friends, kids, uh, uh, any kind of these really good things, beauty, security, that good things that then become treasures that we seek either above or alongside God in our lives. And then the deceitfulness of riches which is interesting because I think that applies equally both to the poor who are infatuated with the idea of I need to get more riches, I need to get out of this place, and so they're infatuated with getting riches, but it can also refer to those who are already wealthy, who are infatuated with the idea of holding on to the riches they presently have. Both of these things, Jesus says, all together they choke out plants that have been planted, that are deeply rooted in Him, but they prevent it from being fruitful, from producing fruit. They choke out the life of the plant. I'm honestly haunted by the way Keller describes those planted in this third soil, which he calls those with a divided heart. He says this, they don't fall away. They don't run away, referring to those kind of trials and persecutions that had caused those in the second soil to fall away. He's like, that's not what they're like. They, they don't fall away. They don't run away. In this group, these people's lives are committed to Christ, but Christ shares control with other things. Honestly haunted by that description. Again, very often these are good things that we ask Jesus to share control of our lives with, family, friends, career, whatever it is. And yet Jesus' plain teaching, Matthew 6, for instance, what did he say? Store up for yourself treasures in heaven, not, not here. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where they can't be stolen away. They can't rust and fade away because of moth. Store up for yourself treasures there, not here. Or what he says there, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek those things first above anything else, not because Jesus is some kind of narcissistic egomaniac, needs everything to be about him in order to feel validated. No, because he knows, first of all, nothing other than a relationship with him is truly going to last and will truly satisfy the deepest desires of our hearts. And secondly, because he knows, and this is so key, those good things we ask Jesus to share control of our lives with, they're no more willing to share control of our lives than he is. They're not just cool to just chill with Jesus and be like, yeah, he can be here too. They want full control of your lives just as much as Jesus does. And they will consume you. They will choke out every ounce of fruitfulness in your life as long as you try to pretend that you can serve both God and this other really good thing in your life. And the last soil that we see there in verse 23 is the good soil, which Jesus describes as, as the one soil out of four that actually proves fruitful. Why? Because it's the one person that both hears the word of the kingdom and he says, understands it. Which again, doesn't just mean hearing, doesn't just mean comprehending because he's explained it, but the one who applies it, who, who does the word of God. Therefore, the seed, it both penetrates the surface of the heart, it finds a nurturing, uncrowded environment which to grow, 
and it takes deep root and bears fruit because of that. Now, fruitful how? What, what, is, what does it mean to be fruitful? What does that look like? Well, some people say fruitfulness is just people hearing and understanding the message of the kingdom as you sow it, and, and so people coming to faith in Jesus, so it's kind of describing a numerical growth in the kingdom. I think, I think that could be included with fruitfulness. But you know what? Beyond that, I think what Jesus is describing is just fruitfulness in us, fruitfulness in you, as, as you allow and submit yourself more and more to the gardener's pruning, to his weeding in your life, so that you are conformed more and more into the image of Christ yourself. So I think it's fruitfulness as kingdom growth, but fruitfulness in you as well. One soil, one soil out of four that produces this fruit. So that's the interpretation Jesus gives of this parable, these, these four different soils and the way it relates to how someone hears the word. The only thing left to do with each of these descriptions now in hand is to take, take Jesus' hearing assessment yourself. Honestly ask yourself, which one of these soils describes how I am presently hearing Jesus? And I use that word presently hearing very intentionally, actually, because sometimes what can cause us to feel overwhelmed or just to shut down is we, we, we think that Jesus is describing a, a permanent state of hearing uh, in each one of these things. So then, okay, if I know I'm not the fourth soil, that means, okay, I guess I'm just like, I guess I'm a lost cause. I guess I'm failed at Christianity here because I, I know I'm the shallow soil. I know I'm the thorny soil, so I guess that's where I'm stuck. No, not, that's not the case. Again, the point of any assessment, medical assessment, uh, 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 an educational assessment, whatever it is, it's not to pronounce a life sentence on someone. If you've failed a math quiz, does that mean you're never going to be able to learn math beyond that level ever in your life? No. The assessment becomes a diagnostic tool of where you're at presently so that then you can plan a course of treatment, plan a course of learning in order to try to make any desired changes. So the assessment doesn't lock you into like one soil. This is where you're at. And in this case, the key diagnostic measurement, what, what, what helps you to know whether you're hearing or not, is fruitfulness. Am I seeing kingdom growth take place both personally in me as well as in those I'm ministering to around me, or is it not? Is that happening? If it's not, then I'm automatic, that automatically rules out the fourth soil, and now I'm left with three other soils to kind of process through. Am, am, I the, am I the one planted on the hard soil? Do I have a, a theoretical, intellectual knowledge of the gospel alone, but there's actually nothing changed or transformed about my life, the motivational structures of my life? Nothing's actually changed in me, but I know lots of Bible stuff. Everything stays on the surface, never, never penetrates down to actually change my, the way I live my life. Am I planted on the shallow, rocky soil? I, I had a revival summer camp moment in my past when I was excited about Jesus and following him, but since then I'm not pursuing anything to do with fruitfulness. Becoming, I've become basically indifferent to anything about pursuit of Jesus or his word or anything in there. I can't tell you the number of people who I've talked to are just clinging to some past experience they had and saying, no, I'm a follower of Jesus, when there's nothing changed about their life, nothing transformed, no pursuit, no hunger for God now. Am I planted on the thorny soil? I've committed my life to Jesus. He's my Savior, but I know there are other things in my life right now I'm asking Jesus to share control of my life with, causing me to remain either 
This is the inevitable result of that. I either remain stuck in some pattern of sin for years of my life because I'm, I won't uproot that thing that's choking out the life of me, or I just remain stuck and plateaued in my faith and my growth because that thing that I'm choosing to stay, remain there, and ask Jesus to share control with continues to choke out fruitfulness. There's nobody that's going to be able to do this for you. No one's coming in to put the stethoscope on you and do it for you. Only you are going to be able to truly assess the, the, how you're hearing. But again, whichever one of these has kind of like resonated with you this morning, whatever is uncovered in that hearing assessment, it's not a life sentence. Remember that. This is a diagnosis of your hearing. Nothing more. It's a diagnosis that you can then address, hopefully within the context of a faith community. Address and then see changed and restored by God's grace. So how's your hearing? How are you hearing Jesus this morning? But after Jesus' hearing assessment, the last thing I want to look at together with you, much more briefly, don't worry, uh, is I want to look at a few encouragements for heralds, those who are seeking to be the sowers of the seed that Jesus has called us to be. Some encouragement for heralds that I see as well in this text. So let's look finally at encouragement for heralds. And I want to look at this because, as I said earlier, although Jesus is the one doing the sowing in our passage today, when you look at places like the Great Commission, Matthew 28, uh, Jesus called to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, Acts 1.8. These are passages I bring up often here. Clearly, sowing the seed of the gospel ourselves is something Jesus calls each one of his kingdom citizens to be a part of. We're called to be sowers as well. And for anyone who's ever tried uh, uh, to be obedient to that call, what you already know is there's, uh, well, there's a lot of challenges associated with that. I, I talked a little bit, even last week at our trimesterly meeting, about stepping outside of comfort zones uh, in, in order to be those sowers. It's, it's awkward. It, it can be embarrassing. It can be difficult. All kinds of challenges that come against us. And so what I believe, I think this is really super cool, actually, alongside providing everyone who hears this word with a hearing assessment, great, Uh, I think we should constantly come back to that and continue to test our hearing. I think what Jesus is also doing in this passage is he's sharing his experience of sowing with those that he's calling to sow the seed of the kingdom themselves so that we could be encouraged, so that we could be prepared or better prepared ourselves as we go out to sow the seed personally. And there's a number of encouragements I think we could focus on here, but two in particular that relate to my own experience of sharing the gospel of the kingdom and also what many of you have shared with me in your own experience as well, are these two things. I think the encouragement is to, first of all, normalize rejection of the message. And then I think Jesus is also encouraging us here to throw off our sowing restrictions. I'm just going to unpack these really quickly. First of all, one of the things I've experienced all the time and I hear from many of you uh, is the frustration the discouragement, the disillusionment that you often feel when you've been doing it. You're stepping out of your comfort zones, you're being brave to to share the message of the kingdom with uh, friends, family members, loved ones, but then you found that after months, maybe even years of sowing, they still remain unmoved in their openness to Jesus. Again, what I've felt countless times, I've heard from you countless times, is people just saying, man, maybe am I just doing this wrong? 
is there something wrong with, with my presentation? Or, or definitely what I hear all the time from people is, not, you know what, I guess I just don't have the gift of evangelism like other people. I don't, I'm not good at evangelism. No one's ever come to faith because of this. Now, now sure, fair enough. Do, do we need to consider how we're approaching people um, with the presentation of the message? If you're this belligerent, kind of argumentative, punishing people with it, like, Okay, fair enough. You should think about that. Should, should we think about uh, deepening our commitment to prayer for those that we're sharing the message with? Yes, absolutely, all those things. But just, just think about the logic of this. I, I've been spreading the word. I've been sowing the seed of the kingdom, and no one's coming to faith. I guess I don't have the gift of evangelism. By that logic, Jesus himself didn't have the gift of evangelism, Right? Because he sowed all the time, and Jesus was rejected. His preaching and teaching was rejected all the time, so much so that they crucified him in the end to shut him up. They, that's, that's how strong was their rejection of his message. But do you see, by sharing his own experience of the many different ways people heard the message of the kingdom, received the seed of the gospel as he sowed it, all of which are demonstrated throughout the gospels, all of a sudden, Jesus is seeking to encourage his fellow sowers. Listen, those very same hearing deficiencies are going to be present in the people that you're seeking to share the word of the kingdom with as well. It's going to be no different. Those soils exist in everyone. So he's trying to encourage us. Essentially, he's saying, yes, first of all, be careful how you hear. Think often, like, how am I hearing Jesus? But then, remember, those that you're seeking to sow the gospel of the kingdom in are going to be any one of those soils at the same time. So he's trying to normalize rejection of the message. There's nothing wrong. You're not doing it wrong. There's nothing deficient with the seed. Simply planting on different soils. And then the second encouragement I see is to throw off any of the sowing restrictions that you may, that you may have developed over time. Uh, and I've mentioned this before when we've spent time in this passage. What I mean by that is this. If you look at the way Jesus himself practices sowing, remember what we said, he's scattering seed apparently wastefully, apparently foolishly on soil that he already knows is not going to be fruitful. He's scattering seed on soil that either can't receive the seed properly or doesn't receive it at all. That's Jesus' practice of sowing. And I think the encouragement I draw from that is this. If Jesus continues to plant the seed of the gospel, even on soil that he knows will not receive it, well, then how much more should we seek to plant the seed of the gospel at every possible opportunity ourselves as those who can't see what kind of soil we're planting in? And I want to emphasize that you can't. Because that's, that's my point as it relates to sowing restrictions. I think far too often we imagine we do know. We, we can see what kind of seed uh, or what kind of soil. And so we, we, we somehow help God to know, no, no, there's no point in planting over here. That's, that soil is hard. They're never going to receive it. This soil, oh, they're just shallow. They pick something up and drop it in a second. So we decide for God where we will and will not sow. And I think the encouragement of this passage as it relates to those kind of self-imposed sowing restrictions is, yeah, don't, don't do that. Stop that. Uh, uh, you, you don't know what kind of soil you're planting in. Your calling, my calling, is simply to scatter the seed. 
That's what we've been called to. It's, it's, it's their responsibility, how they receive it, how they hear the word, and it's God's responsibility to, to uh, ultimately to cultivate the soil of their hearts, to prepare the soil to better receive the seed. But you, again, your responsibility is just simply to sow the seed everywhere and in every context that God places you. Because we can't see what kind of soil we're planting in. So, Wow. We've looked at a lot this morning. We've covered a lot in a short amount of time. And I feel like the best way for us to conclude this morning is, is not for me to just like tie this up with a nice little bow and like, hey, let's head out. But instead, I think the best way to, to apply this, to respond to this, is to make some space right now to just sit, pray, reflect on, on everything that Jesus has just laid out for us, to, to really dig into that hearing assessment. God, how am I hearing you right now? And then, and then do some work. Uh, share with people sitting around you who are in relationship with you. Uh, pray together. Seek God to address whatever hearing deficiency that this assessment reveals. I, I would love it if people would just like clear their calendars and we could spend like an hour after the service just doing that together, just sitting in here, seeking God together, saying, show me how I'm hearing, and then learn from each other how we could press into that. I know you haven't planned for that or prepared for that, so that's okay if you can't do that. But what I want to do is create five minutes of space. I want to ask you to give me five minutes of space to, to really do this before really the results of the hard path take place and, and the the next thing that's coming, oh, I got to go get groceries this afternoon. Oh, did we pick up that thing? What are we going to do for lunch? All those things snatch away the word that was just planted. I want to take some time right now intentionally to press into this hearing assessment and really seek God together as it relates to our hearing. So that's what I want us to do. I want us to do, and then we're going to conclude by taking the Lord's Supper. Reminding ourselves that the work of, of earning God's acceptance, that was already completed by Jesus. So any work that we're doing right now is not about your earning God's love for you, earning his acceptance. It's about learning to grow in our fruitfulness. That's it. That's all we're doing right now. But before we do that, very quickly, I want to remind you of what we said as we began, and which Jesus highlights throughout this parable, namely hearing is not simply about being able to repeat back what you heard. It's about comprehension of that message that results in right action, a comprehension that results in obedience. That's what listening truly looks like. There's a passage in Hebrews 4 where the author is contrasting the people of the Old Testament with people of his present day, noting as it related to hearing, he said this, for good news came to us just as to them. Okay, that exact same seed was planted, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because it did not meet with faith in the hearers. And he goes on to add, since therefore it remains to enter the rest of God, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. As the Spirit says through David today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you hear the Spirit pressing on you right now, saying, you're not, you're not hearing me. I'm calling you into something more. I'm calling you into greater fruitfulness, into greater life that I have for you. Don't harden your hearts. Don't let it just stay up here on the surface. Take this space. Let it enter into and transform you. 
Think of the way Jesus concluded the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, contrasting wise and foolish builders. The contrast was not between those who heard him and didn't hear him. The contrast was between those who heard his words and did them and those who simply heard. So the ask is simply this. As we enter into this literally just five minutes of reflection and pressing into what Jesus has unpacked here, the ask is simply this. As James says in James 1.22, may we be doers of the word and not hearers only so deceiving ourselves. As you understand how your hearing is and God points that out to you and reveals to you, don't, don't brush it off. Don't rationalize it away. Don't let the, the cares of whatever you're doing after this steal away that seed. Press into it, follow into it, and be obedient. Be a doer of what he reveals and not simply a hearer. So we're going to take some time right now. I've asked uh, Jimmy if he could just like put on a, a, some music that's just going to give us some reflection time. When the song is done, we'll enter into a time of communion together. But let's take this time and press into what Jesus has revealed and assess our hearing together.